You're listening to the FMC podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Okay, uh, hello and welcome to the FMC podcast. I'm Matthew Spazali, and I'm Jonathan Keel. We're glad to have you with us. We've been um, away for a little while. Uh, we last recorded um, a podcast before I left the country for Malawi, um, which is in Africa. I didn't really know where it was before I went. <laughs> thought it might have been an island somewhere, uh, but no, it's an a-, a country in Southeast um, Africa, and Jonathan just got back from Costa Rica, or a little recently returned from Costa Rica, so um, we're... Glad to be back, and um, we'll start off with a prayer and tell you about the show. Uh, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy, Holy Spirit, Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord Jesus, we um, we entrust our uh, conversation today to you. We um, yes, we recognize your presence with us, and we just ask that whatever we do here um, shed some light on on you and um, less on us and more about what you're doing in the world, Lord. Um, we ask this uh, through your holy name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. In the, name of the Father, Son, Holy, holy Spirit, Spirit. Amen. So we had the idea to, um, I mean, it's almost a way for Jonathan and I to catch up on what we've been doing. Um, so we're hearing these stories more or less for the first time uh, between each other as well, so hopefully that makes it a little more um, engaging uh, listen. Um, and uh, both of our, our trips were um, obviously uh, through FMC. Um, uh, mine was um, a little more out of the ordinary for our regular mission trips, um, it was kind of, we don't have um, full-time missionaries in Malawi uh, yet, and so we did an uh, evangelization training weekend for a bunch of, uh, for like 60 um, young people in the Archdiocese of Blantyre, Malawi, and uh, yeah, it was... We were expecting like 120 kids, or really young, I mean they were, I think, teenage to mid-twenties, and um, we were expecting 120, and that was an overwhelming number. Only about half of that showed up, and it was still overwhelming, so I don't know what we would have done if there were 120, but... Um, that was the first, we were, I was there for two and a half weeks. At the end of the first week, we had this retreat um, where we were just um, it basically explaining to these Catholics that they are missionaries by virtue of their baptism and kind of giving them some pointers on sharing the gospel um, and uh, being missionaries uh, in their own country, missionaries in their own towns, um, sharing the the joy of the gospel. Um, So 
that was one aspect of our trip. The other aspect was to make contacts and maybe see if this would be a place that FMC could have a, uh, a full-time base. Um, and we met with the Archbishop of, um, of the Archdiocese and he's a, an interesting guy, Thomas Msouza. Um, or Nsuza, I don't know, it starts with an M or an N. It's a, kind of difficult for us to, <laughs> to say those words. Uh, but he's a convert from Islam, uh, and, and he's an archbishop and a fascinating guy, um, and very, a very humble man, and seemed to be very interested in what we were doing and we didn't make a formal request of him when we were talking it wasn't like we went there to say we want to have a base here are you okay with that it was more open-ended than that and i think he understood that we were just we were following the holy spirit and if we have if if the circumstances work out to where we might where we would want to send people there um, I think he's open to it um, certainly and so we made some great contacts and um, I think John your your trip was a little more traditional uh, yeah. FMC mission trip yeah we went down uh, I went down with my son Micah who's 10 and another FMC um, missionary who went to intake with us five years ago named Ryan Lawless. And we met up with our two families down there, uh, the Gearlings and the Brubachers. And we were down there with a, not a extremely large, but um, I would say probably 30 or 40 um, American, mainly youth. Uh, we had three different people from three different youth groups in Alabama and Florida. Two priests came down with us, and uh, while there, we worked with the local uh, missionaries doing some work projects and um, going out into a number of uh, small towns around um, Copa Vega, which is where the missionaries live. And um, a lot of my time, Mike and I spent um, in, in company with uh, the, the American um, youth doing uh, projects on a house of a Nicaraguan family, uh, as well as some home visits, um, visiting the sick and the poor. We had, um, it was their holiest week in Costa Rica. August 2nd is their patron feast day for Our Lady of the Angels. And so we were there the entire week before and a lot was going on at the church that we were able to help out with and um, played music at mass and just a lot of um, kind of staying in the background. Uh, we didn't get out in the in the smaller towns all that much because we were mainly working with um, these youth. But just seeing the transformation in their lives and um, and watching them, many of them for the first time encounter the poor, 
um, encounter uh, people in a different culture and the profound respect and um, appreciation that they had for the locals and the locals had for their willingness to come and be with them was was really transforming in uh, in my own heart and so you and you've been you've been in Mexico you've been in Peru South America what uh, how did how did you find this place in, in comparison to those um, it's interesting a lot of the Spanish is kind of a hybrid of what I experienced in Mexico and in Peru um, the actual the land was uh, very similar to what we experienced in Haiti and in Peru, uh, much more similar to Haiti and Peru than um, than Mexico. I think one of the things that astounded me that I just uh, I fell in love with, I mean, the missionary families were just so wonderful to us and in their examples, the way they worked together. Um, Father Carvel came and celebrated Mass oh, okay. for the Feast of the Assumption uh, just yesterday. And um, one of the things he had said was, you know, God didn't call us to out-missionary each other. <laughs> and uh, I thought that was just such a, an interesting way of thinking. You know, we have, the boys and I do a Mass journal where it's kind of an idea that was given to us by um, Matthew um, Kelly and um, mm-hmm. one of the things that we try to do is just get one thing that God says to us that the Holy Spirit speaks to us through in the mass and this one really hit home for me you know that God didn't call us to out missionary each other and father talked about so often here um, at FMC when he does confessions and things a common um, temptation and struggle that people have is feeling like they have to um, kind of compete and there's like this temptation that sometimes we feel and I, I imagine anyone who's living off of benefactors and um, once your benefactor to know all that you're doing right. you want to be transparent um, but it can easily um, you know slide slippery slope you know slide into who am I talking about the most? Well, myself and all that God is doing through me, with me, in me, you know. Um, and I just realized, you know, it's it's easy for us missionaries to talk so much about ourselves and it gives off and can easily give off the impression that we're trying to out-missionary each other. I want others to see that I'm, um, I'm holding my own, that I'm even doing more than I need to and and we try to outdo one another and this verse came to me yesterday in my prayer time from Romans 12 uh, verse 10 and it was uh, or I'll start with 9 it says let love be sincere hate what is evil hold to what is good verse 10 love one another with mutual affection outdo one another in showing honor and um, it's it's one place in the Bible where it does talk about outdoing one another but it's in honoring one another. And I just thought, um, you know, how beautiful it would be um, if we as missionaries, even here, especially in the church as a whole, we're all called to be missionary disciples, but even within our local community, if we honored others um, more often than we brought honor to God through us. So 
I just thought of, you know, in, in my blogs, in my talks, uh, you know, I want to try to bring others, missionaries in and let the benefactors even know of all that they're doing and just kind of try to hold people up and honor them. And that was something I saw a great example in Costa Rica, um, just watching the Brubachers, the way that they honored those around them. They, it never came across that they, and the Gearlings, um, there was just such a humility as I was with them that I was very uh, I was profoundly touched by it to just see them humbly walking the road of Jesus. It didn't seem like they needed to brag about what they were doing and um, they didn't need to have a, you know, a, a bunch of pictures showing um, every movement of their day and, and how so much they were doing it was just kind of a quiet loving of the people and i feel that in doing that they honored these people um even drunks on the streets i saw phil grubacher um, just embrace them and one man came up to us he said you know he he had been sober for three days his name was danielle wonderful man we went to his house and visited him and during that time he just he was very lucid and um uh, his explanations and um, explications for the way that they do things in Costa Rica, what animals they protect, and why they don't chop down all the forests. It was really beautiful in, in light, especially of what we've been talking about with the environment and just mm. learning to see God in nature. But on the third night, um, you know, he came to us in front of the church and he said, please pray with me. I'm feeling um, very tempted to, to drink again. And one of the common things in Costa Rica is when the men have work, they don't drink. When they don't have work, they drink um, to, you know, to their detriment. And it had been raining so much that they weren't able to find work. And most of them work in the um, lumber yards. And so he, he said, you know, please pray for me. I want to be baptized. I feel like the devil's on my back. And. We, uh, we prayed with him, we hugged him, we gave him a, a Phil gave him a Bible, and um, he was just seemed so grateful. But then the following day, we definitely, he was drunk, and uh, he came and he said, you know, please don't, don't give up on me, you know, forgive me. And just watching Phil, like, hold him and say, you know, I'd never give up on you. And just there wasn't a sense of judgment or a sense of um, he's spoiling it was just free and I, I think that was again um there was just such a beauty in the local seeing the local missionaries work with the local people in ways that uh, you know as as a missionary it blessed me but also set a, a great example for me that i don't we don't always i don't always live and i don't always see in others and so I just felt very called on to live a more holy life as a missionary um, to try and honor. I wanted to take this time just to honor those missionaries uh, and Ryan as well. Uh, even my son, Micah, just uh, just seeing his his heart was so touched and seeing him praying and hugging mm. some of the locals, even the drunks. Um, it was it really it really left a, a lasting um uh, impression on me. Yeah. That um, it reminds me of. I think it. I think it's Pope Francis at some point. Um, has talked about taking a less 
programmatic approach to um, to spreading the gospel to being Christians mm-hmm. um, I, where instead of having a meeting about before you have you form a committee that's going to discuss the next initiative that the parish will have where they meet every week about this or that um, just go yeah. just go out yeah. and, and hug someone and talk to and talk to them and it sounds like that's something that is happening down there uh, where there's just you know, I mean that for those of us who are are listening to Pope Francis it can become uh, like a broken record in a sense but this encounter uh, it's like just go and be with people and mm-hmm. I when I was in Malawi um, overall what Overall, the people there are just amazing. I've never encountered, I've never encountered a more welcoming group of people. They call them the Malawi, the warm heart of Africa, and it was amazing. I think they they lived up to their name like more than we any of us would have expected. Um, but and and so there were some uh, there were some people who rightly um, ask you know what what do you want to do for the people of Malawi um, and uh, the country's 80% Christian um, and 20% Muslim they live in peace together which that right there shows that they they've got something right <laughs> you know um, and so, uh, you know, there's, and they also seem to be pretty well, you know, more or less well catechized in a sense. I mean, they, it wasn't, most of the people we encountered had a, a pretty good basic understanding of the faith. Um, now, we may have been encountering sort of the cream of the crop in a sense, um, because the each parish had selected young people to come to this, uh, each parish in the diocese had selected young people to come to this thing, uh, this retreat that we did. So it may be that, <clears throat> um, well, certainly they would have picked the most uh, engaged people in the young people in the parish, but. Um, I'm getting getting off track. Whatever <laughs> the uh, yeah. So they 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 asked, "What do we get? What, what? Why are you here?" In a sense, they were very happy that we were there. But what what does your organization do? And um, I think they're very, they're certainly very used to um, different NGOs and different um, like uh, UNICEF or uh different charities that focus on alleviating material needs uh of this country which is one of the it's consistently in the top 10 top 5 poorest countries in the world and um they were asking us about that and um i remember 
a couple of times explaining that that our approach is not we don't have a simple um, model that we use in every country that we go to to uh, alleviate poverty um, like our model is Jesus and we work with the church wherever we are ask the bishop what he wants us to do in that area and then we do it and then as far as the material needs we try to meet them as best we can but and and I, I think there's a there's certainly a worthwhile debate to be had about what is the best way of trying to meet the needs um, I think overall our approach is to not let that slow us down in meeting just meeting the people um, and it, I think you know it, I, we could sit around and talk about what the best way is but I know um, that in my experience there we went on some home visits out in this village which was the poorest they were the poorest conditions I've ever seen um, and I've seen some pretty poor conditions in, in Mexico but this was another level uh, where I mean there's no there's no electricity I mean it's almost like if you if you could just imagine the Africa that you have in your head, it's probably similar to this. And that was also kind of strange. Is like this really looks like what I thought it would look like, um, and out so like out in the bush where there is no electricity, no running water. They have to you know go to a well to get their water and I mean everyone's carrying the water on their heads around and um, but this old there's an we, we went to the, the this little hut where a widow you know maybe in her 70s was living with her mentally handicapped daughter and taking care of her and you know you know of it's difficult to deal with mental illness in a in the most developed countries in the world when I looked at this old woman sitting on the ground who was telling us about how difficult it was to deal I guess yeah I don't know how old her daughter was in her 20s or 30s um, who she wasn't in the house I don't know where she was but um, and then all she, all this woman had was this little coal or a charcoal stove that was burning. I don't know what I. It's winter over there, um, which is a, it was actually very pleasant, seventy degrees in the day and fifty at night. But it may have been getting cold, and um, I mean they cook on this thing use it for heat for everything and that that's <laughs> from what I could see was the only thing that she had and um, and like I didn't change that for her but 
I talked to her and I sat with her and I think that's initially what Christ is asking us to do is just be with these people who feel like no one cares about them um, and there's a man it's and that you know I didn't see any great fruit right there either like even with her she didn't smile a whole lot that I was there I mean we brought her some rice and some other things and and she was certainly grateful and smiling but she was a lonely in a lonely difficult position um and it's funny I, that as I'm telling this story, I'm realizing like, what's the, what's so great about this story? There's really nothing that great, and I think that's, you know, it, wanting it to be great is falling into the trap of, um, this missionary competition that we mm-hmm. we need mm-hmm. to be wary of. Like, we don't know what the fruit of our of any of these things we're doing. Is going to be, and that can't be why we're doing it. We can't, we can't be looking at every turn to be validated um, in these, in the results, the immediate results. Mm-hmm. Who knows what it was? Maybe it was more for me than her, or I don't know. Um, but I, I followed the Lord's call, you know, and it's it's led me on that path. Um, and I think that's a good, uh, it was a good lesson for me to just, to recognize that God's calling me to love these people like I would love my own family, hmm. you know, would want to sit with them, even if I don't have an answer, um, I still would want to be with my yeah. sister if she was going through a rough time, um, and I've been reflecting a lot on my trip and, you know, you just sort of, I don't know, as we're talking, I'm coming to this realization that I've been trying to think of things to tell people about what did you do while you were there? What did you accomplish while you were there? And um, I think it's natural for people to want to hear that, natural for me to want to explain it, but it's also dangerous, and I don't need to put that pressure on myself. It's like, I'm just, I don't know what it was all about. (laughs) You know, it's interesting, even as you're saying that, because I think of, you know, if you took a human's eye view, I could imagine, you know, Jesus coming back after... uh, you know, after his death and even his resurrection and um, talking to somebody and them saying, so, you know, you went, you went down there for 33 years. What exactly did you do, accomplish? You know, and yeah. um, in a human's eye view, you know, he could say, well, I, I healed some people who you know, the, the lasting effects on their lives was they weren't even attached enough to him to stay by him at the end of his life. So that mm-hmm. certainly wasn't a huge success. I, 
you know, um, I provided very small amounts for people in need. I, uh, you know, lived three of those years out of 33, uh, actually in ministry. Yeah. So the first 30, you know, uh, wasn't even worth recording. <laughs> and then, you know, I, in the, during those three years, I also hung out with a number of guys uh, and and taught them the faith and yeah. about me, but almost none of them, one of them killed himself after betraying me, and the others didn't think it was even worthwhile to to stick it out with me, and they, they also, in the end, betrayed me and, and ran away to save their own lives. It's just kind of like, uh, I, I did rise from the dead, which is, I mean, no small feat, but again, uh, at that point, it certainly wasn't showing any great fruits as the disciples were still in hiding yeah. um, and fearful for their lives. And so I think it's interesting because it's easy to get caught up in, again, what we're doing, what type of impact we're having, impacts, uh, mm. which really means almost like, uh, what, what type of trade-off am I getting? I just gave a year into missions. How many souls does that equal out to? Like it's some type of equation. Right. Uh, when so often as we've experienced in missions, uh, so little is on uh, externally so little is done and and the reality is you see these you know huge conferences that people pay I mean it's astounding to think about um, but somebody may pay that to go to one of these Christian conferences more just to get in than their entire charitable donation they've given for that entire month or more uh, I might give like you know 5, 10 even a 20 I'd feel pretty generous to give bring a guy out to McDonald's and buy some clothes like I feel good go skipping away like you know I've done something great and then drop 150 to go to a Bible conference or you know drop $50 to go see uh Toby Mac in a concert right uh, and and yet all of that's happening and you know what are the fruits well we see a lot of like external you know big things a lot of people are gathered a lot of people are raising their hands but in the end you know the amount of we can't measure the heart and we can't really measure yeah. long term and I think that's where we get really caught up in this outdoing one another mm -hmm. you know how many um, how many people were raising their hands? How many people decided they wanted to give their life to Jesus? Like these kind of short-term trade-offs that we're looking for that's kind of in the moment. We want it right now. We go down for a week and we kind of are hoping that if we just give that one week, yeah, uh, you know, everything will be different. Right. And Jesus, God made man, gave his entire life and really very little externally from a human perspective seemed to be accomplished yeah yeah I mean he had 
Yeah, as you say, from the human perspective, especially the human perspective of the time he was living, that I think that was one of the big frustrations with him. Is like the Romans are still, yeah, are still have their thumb. We're under their thumb. What did you do, Messiah? Like nothing. And I think. Um, it's it's taken a it took even the the apostles a long time to figure out what had happened and it really they needed the Holy Spirit to show them what they were supposed to do about it they were like as you said hiding in a room um, and uh, yeah as I look at think looking at at my time so far about a year uh year and a half as a missionary of certain it, it doesn't it doesn't read like a book I would want to write about uh my life as a missionary mm-hmm. it's a lot of um incomplete sentences in a sense and sometimes you know you read having been a missionary now for um five years more or less you you hear people you you read stuff sometimes and you realize you know stories of missionaries and things that are done out in the field and how selective it is and it's kind of just hitting on the mountain peaks which right. which may only happen you know one once a year even you may yeah. have this great experience but that's the story that you're going to tell and i think one thing early on in missions i felt really called on by the psalms which talked about singing a new song um you know and that really for me was a message that we can't just go up onto the mountain preach to the people take a few pictures of it that we're going to recycle for the next decade (laughs) and hey we've done everything now I could go back and kind of now I need to relax because I mean that was really stressful and I really we really did a lot right there now we need to really just pamper ourselves and and uh, it's so easy to do it's such a temptation and that's again kind of this um Understanding, I love this quote by Pope Francis um, from Evangelii Gaudium. He says, I am a mission. And that's really like you, each of us, not just we're missionaries and not just we're called to a mission, but like we are the mission. Like literally the kingdom of God, as it says in Luke, is within you. Like you carry that you are the mission. And so often, you know, we're looking for externals that we're kind of that's the way we look at things in this society we we measure ourselves by even in the church by how big our church is how pretty it is i'll go to that church because of some external thing um and i I guess for me one of the things that as we we did a number of reflections with the youth and, and one of the things i was reminded of that came my first year admissions to me was um, the Lord really laid on my heart this passage from Galatians 5 and it says um, but the fruit of the spirit is love joy, peace, patience kindness, generosity 
faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I realized in missions, those fruits of the Spirit became... I never prayed for most of these before. For patience, that was the one thing. Uh, and self-control, those were kind of the things. I did pray for those. Um, and I prayed for them in such a way that somehow they would be infused into me, kind of like, make me patient, Lord. Like, He would just push a button somewhere deep within me and I would be patient or make me self-controlled and it would just happen. It was kind of this infused thing. And some things I realized and I was reminded of again in Costa Rica was, you know, these the five big ones for me was joy, peace, gentleness, um, generosity, and hospitality. And... I never really prayed for those before. Missions, joy was something I just figured I had to kind of conjure up. It's just like, you just got to be positive. That's kind of the way I thought about it. And I'm not really good at doing that. I'm much more of a realist. And when you're a realist, sometimes people will call you negative because Mm -hmm. they just expect you to be the smiley Christian that is kind of the, the cliche that so many people are, are put off by is just kind of like, I'm going to deny the real, just going to pretend I'm going to be peppy. That's not the joy that, um, that we're called to in the Gospels. It really is a strength that comes. There's joy even when we lost our child. There's a strange joy that's not a happiness. It's not like you, Jesus was laughing on the cross. But there also is a joy in knowing that even in the worst pain, God is with you, that Jesus is with you. That's the joy is his presence. And the other thing was peace. You know, uh, peace, I think, in our country got has kind of been associated with just hippies. And especially in my life, it was never something I prayed for. Uh, and yet Isaiah 26 came to me. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. And just this idea that in missions, we, it's so tempting, and just in life in general, it's so tempting to just trust in yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, in missions, you, you oftentimes, you just put yourself in a position where you have to trust or go home. Um, whereas, you know, even here at Big Woods, like, it's, uh, it is kind of like missions, and it's kind of more like not missions, because you do have a lot of... Um, comforts and things you can trust in um you have you know many people have um paid positions and different things which aren't anything evil it just limits the amount of um of stress you might say or ability to lose peace because you can have some peace because you have a savings because you have insurance because you have a life insurance policy because you have you know, your car is a good car that's maybe new and it runs well, etc. When you get out in missions and you live like much of the world, you realize like you really have to trust or you will have no peace. And I've lived many times in missions with the loss of peace. And I realize almost always that's because my mind was focused on somebody else, on something the reading for last Sunday, you know, when Peter walks on the water and then he notices the wind. Like, peace becomes so important because our peace is rooted in a trust, a filial trust in God. That He is our Father and that everything that happens, even the worst things that we don't understand, 
or he's doing because he he loves you and and I've really struggled with this trust and this peace but I was reminded of it and then I'll go through those really quickly but generosity um, you know sometimes we think we are pretty generous because we we give like you know a small amount from our um, disposable income and yet we go into missions that we went into one house these people we didn't even have a, a floor the big gaping hole in the middle of their floor the woman had just had her name was rosario she had just had a stroke they they were living like two or three families in this like two or three bedroom wooden house that was just right next to kind of a runoff ditch from the um lumber lumber um yard and they we saw them making lunch they were making tortillas with cheese and they just invited us in there was about 10 of us and they made us a beautiful meal they didn't even eat it they just gave it to us and i thought i've never experienced that type of generosity um outside of being with the poor there's yeah. a there's a beauty in that i'm sure you experienced it in in africa yeah. um and that's a generosity that calls me on i know i'm not very generous when i when i look at um, other examples I realize how far I have to go and and then gentleness was just a really important one for me I, it's not something I'm not a, the most gentle person but I feel like the Lord really called me to be more gentle um, and part of that gentleness in missions is being willing to listen and we've talked about that when we talked about um, evangelization and, and verse proselytizing is Again, it's so easy to just think, I'm out to preach, I'm going to preach, I'm going to preach. It's very active, it's very, it can be very aggressive. I'm out to like convert people to turn them around, to show them where they are in error, to show them what they need to get from my preaching. Whereas there's a gentleness that lifts people up. In Psalm 18 it says, you've given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me and your gentleness made me great and when we go to a, a person who is discarded by society the poor and those living in the margins and we simply listen to them even if and sometimes i don't even understand them and because they're spanish or they don't have any teeth or something mm -hmm. uh, we just went a few days ago to a, a nursing home here and just listen to people you could see it made them feel like dignified to be able to tell their story, not just to be cast aside. And that's, I think, part of a gentle spirit, a, a willingness to treat others with real kindness and value. And so often, like, again, we can fall into just, well, I need to, I, my program, I, my, you know, ideas, I need to just change people. No, we need to, like, listen and find that restlessness in their hearts and that's something that takes patience and gentleness and then the final thing is just hospitality i'm sure maybe you, you could maybe speak to some of these things um, from africa um and, but again in costa rica we experience this in mexico we have to be willing to open up our homes and one of the beauties of missions is we're just in the mindset of thinking when someone knocks on my door jesus is there and I'm going to invite them in. I want to like receive them. Whereas sometimes in the States, you know, or at least back home, wherever we live, we get back into old habits where it's like from nine to five is when I receive visitors. 
then you know uh, and when you think of it well from nine to five I received Jesus but after five Jesus is not welcome then it's kind of you, you get kind of feeling a little bit ashamed inside and you realize these people are the sick and lost of the world and it dawned on me you know the word hospital which in so many places we go there's no hospital but the word hospital is the same root it comes from the idea of a guest at hospice in latin hospitality hospital it's welcoming in the one with need and sharing what you have with them and that those are just some reflections that the lord really laid on my heart yeah uh, the i can certainly um echo that experience of hospitality and generosity um like i said the the people in malawi they were just they were so happy that we were there and they didn't there was a guy we were walking down the street um dirt dirt road uh this guy stopped his car um and he was clearly um i don't know um, he might have been what some kind of middle class uh person in in the society um and he it was i think it was just just me and um, my friend Aubrey, who, who I met in Malawi, and um, this guy stopped his car and just said, this is awesome. I, I'm so happy that you're here. And he, like, he didn't know anything about who we were. Like, hmm. He just saw that I was a white person and wasn't clearly from there. And then, like... Aubrey told him a little more what we were doing and he was like that this is this is amazing I'm so happy and then he just drove off like <laughs> what I, I didn't even we didn't do anything I, he just saw me walking um, so I certainly felt like <laughs> uh, undeserving of any congratulations but uh, in a sense I felt that same welcoming attitude from everyone there um there was not a single time where i walked some place and smiled at someone and they didn't smile back um which is kind of i was thinking about it that's sort of the first sign that you're unwelcome in a sense is if you look around and people are staring at you but they're not smiling like you immediately you feel like okay maybe I should get out of here whether we were in the slums of Blantyre whether we were in maybe a more developed area uh, or out in the villages every time I waved and smiled at someone they waved and smiled back um and these are these are people like the unemployment is about seventy percent in this country. So, from our perspective, they don't have much to smile about. They could also be very angry at a white person or a westerner 
who they would, would perceive as being rich, um, and really we are, um, but, you know, I, I don't know, I, I think it's, there's something's just amazing about this country that I've visited, um, because there are other places where we, we've gone, you know, um, where I have not felt that same welcome, um, and, but then more, more concretely, yeah, we had, uh, a poor family invite us in and cook us lunch at the drop of a hat, like, killed their chicken, cooked it for us, brought, and it's, I mean, a very simple meal, but it's probably what they eat every single day, um, chicken and rice, or they had, they eat these, they eat encima, which is like grits, um, which they, they expected that I would be shocked that they eat this weird thing, this grits-like thing, and I was like, we eat that all the time, well, I, I know what that is, they, theirs is a little harder, I mean, it's, it's more of their staple food, so they either eat rice or this cornmeal stuff, um, but, so they, they served us that, um, and set a table for us, it, the, um, yeah, the, the hospitality of, you know, where, whereas you would look, I, I just, if some random person came to my door for most of my life, that would be, and even today is sort of an annoyance, you know, like what, you hear a knock at the door, who's, what do they want, <laughs> you know, um, such a pessimistic um, skeptical uh, attitude about strangers, and I didn't find that mm -hmm. in Malawi. One of the things um, when we were in Mexico, the Lord spoke to me, which just really has been something I've been reflecting on for the last month. Is you know the road, the story of the road to Emmaus, and I've heard, I maybe even mentioned this, but I'm mentioning it again. Um, but on the road to Emmaus, you know, Jesus shows up and begins talking with uh, the two, um, Cleopas and, and this other person, possibly his wife. And they, Jesus begins talking to them about the scriptures. They don't know it's Jesus, but they, later they say their hearts begin to burn and they're hearing him talking about the scriptures. And then... You know, um, many people have noted also at the end of the story, Jesus turns the bread into, uh, into um, well, he, they recognize him when he breaks bread. Mm -hmm. You know, we see that as a symbol of the Eucharist. And many Christians, I think, in, you know, um, in wealthier societies, certainly the United States uh, as maybe the most wealthy society there has ever been, um, we, we get those two. They're kind of, it's easier to just kind of read the Bible uh, or your catechism, and then go to mass. You know, it's kind of a—it's not a very difficult thing to do. Um, 
But the key moment in the passage for me is that when they are, Jesus kind of pretends like he's going to keep going mm-hmm. and they, they say, no, stay with us. They invite him in. They show that hospitality, you know, the works of mercy, uh, which kind of makes sense of our faith. Our faith without the works of mercy uh, is really half the gospel. You know, um, it, it's really doing a disservice to all that Jesus preached to just kind of preach orthodoxy, whereas the works of mercy speak of an orthopraxy, a way of, of living. And they invite him in, and it's in inviting him in that then Jesus is able to show them the deepest mystery of you know, at least our liturgical faith, as he transforms, uh, you know, I believe he that he breaks bread, and he disappears, giving the sign that they now had him in a different form. Mm-hmm. And I think that just again, it's so important that hospitality, but not just for missions. And that's something that even for us missionaries, we have to remember is that we. It's easy, and this is just a more for you know missionaries. I'm going to say this, but it's easy for us to kind of take off the mission cloak when we come back from missions and go back to living a different way, even here at Big Woods where, you know, we might not feel like everyone who knocks at the door, we might not feel like our brother and sister missionary is Jesus to us. And so we might put uh, hours on that and say, you know, and I never forget my first year when we were thinking of putting hours on the door uh, in General Cepeda we had wrestled with it and I talked with Mr. Frank and he just said well I never thought I would put hours on when Jesus could visit me and oh man it just it opened up my my mind it cut me to the heart and then I guess I just realized that doesn't just apply in Mexico you know that applies to our entire life like what are the hours that you allow Jesus into your life you know, who are the people that you're unwilling to see Jesus in? Mm. Those are the, the questions that have been burning upon my heart um, really this, for the last few months. Yeah. Well, I, um, I think that brings us to the end of our time here. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, just I'm glad to get um, your perspective on, on things that that you saw in Costa Rica and um, happy to share mine from uh, Malawi I want to say Zikomo Kwambili to all my friends in Malawi Uh, that just means thank you very much I I didn't master their language Uh, they speak Chichewa is the name of the language Um, but but I learned how to say that so I thought I'd throw that in there um, Jonathan, you want to uh, close us in a prayer? Yeah, and I'm going to end with a, a great quote from St. Augustine, which says, For those who love God, he turns all things into good. God even allows their wanderings and errors to be for their own good. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Uh, dearest Jesus, we just come to you this, this, uh, this morning. Uh, just asking you to continue to 
develop in our hearts an attitude of a missionary disciple, Lord, that we would be willing to be missions in the world, that we would be willing to give ourselves to you, to bend over backwards, Lord, to offer you our all, Lord, to work and not pat ourselves on the back and say, look at what good we've done, but in the end to know we've only done what we should have done, Lord, that we're nothing but servants following you who washed feet and gave your life for the world. Just give us generosity, Lord, that we might give our all, Lord, everything, Lord, down to uh, our even our needs at times, Lord, that we would just give from our necessity in love of our neighbor, because we know that when we love them, we love you. I love you so much, Jesus. I thank you so much for uh, this group of missionaries. Thank you for all of our listeners. Thank you for this podcast. And we just offer all these things to the hands of our blessed mother who gave her all to you to allow you to give your all to us as we pray. Hail Mary, full Full of grace, grace, the Lord Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And Mary, Queen of Angels, pray for us. Thank you, and thank all of you for listening. We'll uh, catch you next time. Bye. We appreciate you listening to today's podcast. Please tune in again next week, and we look forward to seeing you. May God bless you.